0: Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson as always I am your good friend and host Steve Robertson here on the hump day edition of the yard later than I planned to be. Uh, We spent some time uh, writing an article that uh, spent all of yesterday uh, doing some research. I got up and wrote three pieces and then uh, ate lunch and spent the rest of the day and evening doing some research for an article that I published this morning and uh, wanted to make sure we got it right. And so I uh, wrote that this morning over Gene's Page. We're going to talk about some of the numbers that may be kind of behind the story on the show. And uh, we're going to talk about the latest information that we have from Coach Zach Arnett. We uh, got, were able to get our hands on some quotes from his appearance Monday night at the Memphis Touchdown Club. Wrote those yesterday. First, uh, you know, print report about that and then uh, he had the sec teleconference today and then we had a chance to meet with him uh, in Palmero center today along with uh, four players so gonna share with you what we know not a whole lot i'll tell you what we know and what i think and i think that's really what you want to know right so uh we'll share that here on the show i uh, got a great classic rock top 10 you know we've done some van halen van hagar type stuff Going to be in that vein today, but with a different band. Maybe you can kind of figure that out. Not an American band either. So it's not Grand Funk Railroad. But uh, a lot to talk about. And I've uh, been on the radio a good bit today. And so I- I'm such a creature of habit. Like I, anytime things don't go the way I want them to, I get really uncomfortable. So I'm not really myself right now. But the fact that I'm recording the show with you guys kind of gives me um, a little peace to know that, hey, I'm getting this done. Uh, it just makes for a longer day. You know that's okay. You know I work from home, it's not like I'm cooped up in some office somewhere. Uh, those days are behind me, and I hope they stay behind me uh, forever, for sure. But uh, a lot to discuss today. We'll get into the uh, team stuff and the Arnett stuff, uh, and then we'll of course uh, you know get into the article stuff. We'll talk about a few other things too. Uh, before we get ready to get out of here, you know it's already Wednesday. It is an open date, and uh, again I will record Friday's show and then uh, hit the road for a couple days and probably going to unplug as best I can. Now for me, you know, obviously, you know, I own the business. And so we have to kind of, you know, continue to kind of stay in contact, but uh, probably not going to produce much in the way of content this weekend. Kind of let my mind unplug a bit, take advantage of the open date. Many of you will get a chance to just kind of watch some college football. I don't know how much of that I'll get to do, but uh, you know, hey, we all need a break every once in a while. And you owe it to yourself. That's why you work so hard, man. I mean, that's the thing. When you work as hard as we do, sometimes you just need a minute, right? So I'm going to take a minute this weekend. I'll still probably do some social media stuff because I'm addicted to that, like all of you. And, uh, of course, we'll check in on the message boards. So if you don't see me write an article this Saturday or Sunday, don't uh, don't trip. I'll, I'll be good. I'll be around. And then we'll get right back into the fray next week, of course, uh, game week, as we get ready to take on... The Arkansas Razorbacks, and uh, so again next week we'll record the Friday show and then hit the road to Northwest Arkansas and uh, get up there and prepared. 11 a.m. kick, and then we'll uh, we'll spend the next day and a half or so uh, spoiling the grandkids. So hopefully you get a chance to uh, do that yourself. The thing I've learned about grandkids, they don't stay long enough, so you've got to make the effort. But um, uh, nevertheless. Ready to get up there and uh, ready to win a football game. You know, I don't think there's anything right now that can do more for Zach Arnett, for Mississippi State, and for all of us than to go beat Arkansas. This weekend, we kind of get a chance to kind of take a deep breath, kind of take an inventory of where we are, you know. And uh, then we'll get back into the fray next week and uh, start ready to, you know, prepare for the University of Arkansas Razorbacks, backs, excuse me. We've had some success in Fable in recent years, and hopefully that continues. And I think that 11 a.m. kick I think is big for us. I mentioned that on Monday's show. At the time we finished up the show, we didn't know yet. I was rooting for 11 a.m. kick. I don't normally like 11 a.m. games, but I think it gives us a bit of a competitive advantage a lot of people will like to stay home, much like they do here, too. You know, love him kick. Like, ah, I'm not going. You know, uh, there will be some of that, too, and there's a good chance Arkansas is a 2-5 and five football team by the time we get there. So it sets up for well, as well as it possibly can for us. We just got to go take care of business, you know, at least that aspect. Of it. We got to take care of what Mississippi State does. Hey, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company for making this all possible. Man, I love Bulldog Burger Company. I do. I absolutely love it. There are some places that I like. You know, when I'm traveling, I say, I think I'll go in here. I like that pretty good. Then you you have it once. You're like, ah, that's that's good for a bit. I can eat at Bulldog Burger Company every week, and some months I do. I like going in there due to the variety of the menu. Of course, uh, you know, I can go get the Bulldog Burger itself, and that satisfies that uh, great American hankering for just a great all-beef hamburger, right? That great restaurant-quality hamburger. You get hamburgers at fast food joints, but they're really just kind of facsimiles of the real thing. Sometimes you got to go put your feet under a table at a place that knows how to do a hamburger, and that's Bulldog Burger Company. Get that chocolate shake to go. Get those uh, spring rolls as your appetizer. It's doing your part to make America beautiful. Yeah, it's true. It's in writing, it's on a menu. And you, you don't think that's an accident, do you? It's not. Started with us right here on this show. Trust me on this. Have the spring rolls. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. Uh, if, you, if you're in the mood for a salad, and, and there are some days I am, especially for lunch, you know, sometimes I'll eat big for lunch, and then I'm thinking, I want to eat a little bit lighter at night. But that BLT salad, man, the portion is so substantial, you're, you're not going to finish it. I mean, you're a daisy if you do, pardon the phrase. I like it grilled. You may like it fried. Be sure and check it out. A lot of good options for you there. No matter what you're craving, there's a good chance the Bulldog Burger Company can quench that for you. Be sure and go check them out. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive, in the Rich and Flowwood area, Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right, everybody wants to know what's going on with Will Rogers. We're not going to get any official word on Will. I don't suspect until uh, maybe 10 o'clock Saturday morning before we play Arkansas. Now, you may remember last year, we didn't know if KJ Jefferson was going to play against us in Starkville until kickoff. He even went through uh, some of the pregame drills. He dressed out made the trip. You know, he only told us he's going to make the trip. We didn't know. Don't think that's lost on all this. But uh, all that said, you know, there there may be some gamesmanship here. But the issue here is really the health of one Will Rogers. Now, Zach Arnett was asked Monday night about it, and he goes, hey, everybody's under you know, evaluation kind of day-to-day. He was asked by on teleconference, say, hey, you know, we're all getting better, you know. Uh, kind of asked about it today in a roundabout way. And, you know, he's very cryptic in his answers, as you would expect him to be. And I understand everybody's right to know. I don't know that anybody has a greater sense of entitlement when it comes to the right to know than me. Just kind of telling it as it is. I work really hard to get information for you all so we can publish on Gene's page and talk about it here on the show. We want to be first, but more importantly, we want to be right. And so, yes, there are sometimes I think people owe me access. We do an awful lot. Nobody covers the Bulldogs like we do. But when it comes to player injuries and player health concerns, I get it. You know, I want to know too, but not at the detriment to the program, but to the player themselves. You know, I, I had somebody close to me that spoke with uh, you know Will's parents just yesterday. I said, "Hey, listen, all due respect, I just we don't we don't want to talk about the thing with Will. We don't want to talk about it." And uh, and I respect that. I absolutely do. Uh, known the Rogers family now, I guess since uh, Will was uh, maybe a ninth grader. Maybe uh, Wyatt Rogers came and ran offense at uh, one of my combines there at Canton Academy. You know, so these, we go back a ways. And so I have respect uh, for that family. I've got respect for Will. We're going to respect their privacy. Uh, But if we were going to get ready to play a football game this weekend, I don't think he'd play. I don't think that's a hot take. Uh, But, you know, it's one of those things you look at, and you you can talk yourself into anything, right? There's so much of this you begin to kind of talk your way through it and say, okay, it can't be as bad as they think, because he came back out with no sling, came back out with no ice. He didn't have shoulder pads. And, of course, Arnett said, well, we thought the game was in hand. It was like a 10-point game, you know. It was. And Zach's going to say the right things. And you, he shouldn't be criticized for that, right? He shouldn't be. I know people are like, well, I wish they would just tell us. Well, you know, the longer that you can force Arkansas to prepare for two quarterbacks and have two different skill sets, the better chances you have to win. It's if we come out today and say, hey, Will Rogers is out for a month, well, then all of a sudden Arkansas has got to say, oh, well, it's going to be the right kid, so we'll go pull all the vanity tape and we'll do this. Well, right now you're giving them two quarterbacks to prepare for. And so a lot of people are like, I don't understand the big deal. Okay, then just relax. It's a big deal because it's a big deal because Will Rogers is an important part of our offense. And I know many of you have called for him to be benched, but this is what we had in mind, Right? Now, if Mike Wright is forced to be the starter next Saturday, I think we're still capable of going to win in a football game. I said beginning of the year, if Mike Wright had to be our starter, we're still a bowl team. We're still a bowl team. And I think Mike Wright's capable of getting us some wins. How long he may have to play, you know, we don't know, you know. And Arnett was kind of asked about that today. Is like, hey, you know. In the event Mike's number gets called, you know, what are your expectations? I mean, what are you expecting him to say, you know? But if I had to call it today, you know, I, I think Mike writes your starter next weekend. Now, there was some, uh, some, some comments made on the Twitter Twittersphere uh, that Chris Parson was out for the year, and that's not true. Uh, and Zach Arnett talked about that today on a teleconference. And, uh, you know, Chris dressed on Saturday and went through warm-ups. And uh, that's not to say that there hasn't been an issue now, I'm, I'm told he had a bit of a thumb thing, right? And uh, But he could have played through it. But uh, I understand that's behind him now and um, that he'll be dressed and ready to go next Saturday to Arkansas. And so that's what we expect. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we want Will to get better. I mean, hey, if you had the full compound of your offense, you know, the, the prognosis is much better, right? So... I understand that every single day on the message boards and on social media and around the water coolers, around this great state of ours, this is going to be discussed. What's going on with Will? I can tell you I have heard a little bit of everything. And I don't know what to believe other than the fact that we do expect Will to be back. When he's back uh, is really the question. Uh, But we're not going to sit here and speculate about a young man's health. But I, I do believe, again, if we had to play a football game this weekend, he wouldn't play. And I do think things are certainly trending towards Mike Wright being the starter uh, at Arkansas. And you never know how things, are, you know, people are going to respond you know, to treatment and things of that nature. So let's just let the doctors and our trainers do their job. Let the players work through whatever they need to. Uh, but whether Will Rogers is under center or in the shotgun snap at Arkansas, no matter if he takes a snap or not, Will is still an important part of this for us. Because if Will's not going to play, You know, Will's got to do his part to help Mike, you know, prepare mentally, work through film, things like that. Not not that Mike's not capable, but when you've got a guy like Will Rogers that has accomplished as much as he has, you know, two sets of eyes and two heads are better than one. So, again, we we wish a speedy recovery, you know, sooner rather than later. But I can tell you, I've heard from people that I trust, that uh, Will Rogers will be back this year. And so we'll see. We'll just see when that is. A lot of concern, of course, with Woody Marks. And, uh, I mean, it seems like, you know, Woody because of the nature of his running style. Because Woody has no aversion to contact. He is willing to take the lick and deliver the lick. And sometimes he gets a little bit banged up. That's just kind of who he is. Uh, But Woody, of course, uh, came out of the game last week after kind of a twisting tackle, kind of twisting of the leg. And, you know, he's been a little bit... um, I guess kind of you know, gingerly when it's come to uh, you know, that ankle injury. And, and this you know, looked to me like you know, it was kind of a twist of the knee. Uh, he's questionable for next week based on what I hear. And, again, that's, let's just call that a semi-educated guess. That doesn't mean he's not going to play. It's just, we got two weeks, right? we got ten days. And so a lot can happen. And, then, and I know Woody Marks wants to play. Uh, there's no question about that. Woody wants to play. Woody wants to win. Woody wants to help this university and this football program put another uh, win in the win column. So if he can play and he's not a danger to himself, he's going to play. But it's not always a player decision. I mean, if you've you've ever been a competitor, you think to yourself, even at 80%, I'm better than a lot of people at 100%. It's not always the case. Uh, But, again, it's just too early at this point to make a determination on Woody. It's going to just depend. We'll go to the weekend. They'll rest and – and we'll just see how he responds. You know, the good thing is, is that if if Woody is not hundred percent, we have proven that we have some depth at running back, and maybe they're not as talented as Woody, which is the reason he's the top quarterback, the top running back, right? He's he's RB one for a reason. But hopefully, you get Jeff Pittman back at hundred percent. There's no reason at this point to expect that he won't play. And then you think of uh, you know Lee and uh, you know Seth Davis. You know, we should be able to run the football. And uh, offensive line appears to be doing a much better job in run blocking these days. And you look at Ole Miss had some measure of success against Arkansas running the football. We're a completely different scheme, right? But I suspect that we will be able to run the football on those guys a little bit. LSU did as well. So, you know, we'll see. And the mobile quarterback, right? That's uh, the thing. You begin the element of the offense that uh, maybe you hadn't always seen. Because all of a sudden, if Mike's going to take all the snaps, you're not going to be able to run blitz every play. So I think situationally at times we have underutilized him and kind of misused him. But if he ends up being the starter against Arkansas, uh, I think there will be some play calling that will be designed around his skill set to kind of get things done. Now, I I caution you about this too. There are a lot of people that have been clamoring for Mike. I have seen him in practice. Many of you have not. The overwhelming majority of you have not. Passing is not necessarily a strong suit. Intermediate passing game, the RPO game, absolutely. But as far as like getting vertical and pushing the ball down the field, that's not really his, his strong point. Not to say that he can't do it from time to time, but ball placement on the deeper throws is a little bit of an iffy proposition. So a lot of people are thinking, oh, we're going to have Mike come out here and just throw the ball. No, we're not going to air it out with Mike. Okay, that'd be like all of a sudden we're going to ask Will Rogers to run triple option, right? I mean, that's just not in his skill set. But can we fashion an offense around Mike Wright in two weeks? Uh, you know, put together a play card that works well for us? You better believe we can. We, we absolutely can. But, you know, if you ask me, you know, I think the approach that Arkansas had against Ole Miss might be the approach that I'd want to take too. I mean, like you look up at the end of the game and there's 100 plays called and it's evenly divided between the two teams. And hopefully we're, we're the ones with the last snap taking a knee. And Fayetteville. So don't be surprised if we go up there and Mike starts the game and uh, it's more of a run first offense It's kind of passing to keep him honest and we work you know some ball control and kind of shorten the game on him. I think that's a big part of it man that's that's exactly what I would do. I mean if you're gonna go out there and, and you know try to run the air raid or the run and shoot or whatever. Uh, with Mike under center, I think you're going. I think you're asking him to do some things that maybe he's not good at. And so what you have to do is build a game plan around what he does well, and he'll be involved in that, you know. So I think at this point you just kind of prepare. You know, Mike is the starter, and Arnett said it. Whether you're the starter or not, you have to prepare as you're the starter. Uh, but I think you know this week, especially with uh, you know Will just kind of beginning to recover you know, from the injury last week. You know Mike's getting, you know, the line share of the snaps, and I'm sure Chris Parson, who has run the scout team, is probably getting some more time with the first or second team offense. You know, we'll see how things progress in that respect, but, you know, this week is about, you know, hey, let's figure out kind of what we have, who we have, and let's start putting a game plan together, and next week we get into a normal game week, and uh, and there we go. And I ask Arnett, too, you know, because, uh, you know, people forget, those of you that are young – Because I am no longer young. I am young at heart. But uh, back in 1991, probably the most legendary open date in the history of Mississippi State football in the modern era. It was against LSU. We had an open date. And Jackie and Sleepy and William Prince and Kenny Roberts and those guys, I guess Robert Isaac was part of that too. We put in a triple option. We had two weeks to do it. Jackie closed practices, banned all visitors. And we put in a triple option, went down LSU, and we absolutely destroyed them. And uh, there, Todd Kenshin had two offensive pass interferences that weren't called in that game. And that game was a huge blowout. There was a sympathy call, particularly LSU, was just absolutely shell-shocked. And Kenshin just kind of shoves off and makes a catch, and everybody's looking around waiting for a flag, and it's almost like it was a sympathy no-call. And so sometimes coaches, you can't reinvent the scheme, but you can come up with some opponent-specific pressures. You can uh, come up with some uh, wrinkles offensively based on what you've seen on film. I asked Arnett a little bit about that today, and he goes, you know, you can kind of overthink that. And he goes, but, you know, to ask your guys to go in there with just three or four days of practice and do something they're not quite as familiar with is is probably a recipe for disaster. That was a great answer. But that said, You better believe Zach Arnett and these guys are going to have a couple things dialed up specifically for Arkansas based on their film review. It happens week to week, right? But uh, you can go read and watch Zach Arnett's press. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid. That was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on have our chaps, our vest, and we go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tacovas. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to NerdWallet's Objective Finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explained the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's smart money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This conference in its entirety over at jeanspage.com. It's free. All of our team content is free. We do some recruiting stuff and we'll do some feature stuff. We make VIP. And you certainly want to pay for that. But uh, everything that we do in what we call the big room, anything that everybody else in the media has access to, we're going to make that free. We're not going to make you pay for that. Now when everybody else has it, we're just going to make it available to you and get you to come over there and hang out with us, and hopefully one day you'll be a subscriber, and you certainly should be. Uh, But you can go read that. And, of course, uh, we get, let's see, we got Jed Johnson today, Jayden Crumity, Jordan Mosley, got him, and uh, Cole Smith, And so those stories will kind of filter out here in the next 48 hours. And uh, you can go watch the videos of those interviews right now. You can go to jeanspage.com right now. Scroll down, feature videos, and you watch all the videos from today's media opportunity. I don't know that anybody makes that available to you. I don't think the university does. You can go watch it right now. You don't have to wait. And we're not going to chop it up either. We're not going to go cut things out. You know, you're going to get to see it as it happened. Right now. You can go right now. As soon as the show's over, go pull up and watch him. Cool, right? Uh, but, yeah, so injuries are a part of football. We know that. Uh, Arnett did mention on teleconference that Kyle Ferry is expected to be fine. Uh, we did get kind of rolled up on that roughing the uh, kicker penalty, and I was told Saturday that he could have been fine, but he was just kind of pulled as a precaution. Uh, not an official diagnosis, but somebody said it's just kind of a bruise, you know. Um, but, yeah, he's expected to be ready to go. And, of course, he's an Arkansas native. So, you know, he wants to have the opportunity to go up there and, uh, and kick the game winner in Fayetteville. And we hope he gets a chance to do just that. A lot of confidence in Kyle. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people were concerned about that because it's like, oh, my gosh, we finally got a, a kicker. Uh, not that we would be in bad shape with uh, Nicholas Barmera, but it does appear that both of those guys will be good to go when we get to Fayetteville. And uh, there's just a lot of people that are banged up. A lot of people have asked about Calvin Dinkins. We don't expect him back for Arkansas. It could, I guess, but uh, you know he pretty serious injury he suffered earlier in the year. We do expect him back at some point this season, uh, but I think expecting him back for Arkansas maybe asking a bit much. And the thing you ask yourself too is, you know, you've got these red these freshmen you can play in four games and still preserve the redshirt year, right? So. You know, we've got some guys, you know, Caleb Bryant's a guy that kind of comes to mind. You know, Gabe Moore's a guy that kind of comes to mind. Uh, but you got to put them out there when they're ready. You know, you can't just say, all right, here we go. Let's just hope for the best. Because, I mean, you know, we got to win these games. And as we mentioned before, you know, sometimes being at 80% is better than the next guy at 100% because the guy did not always have experience. And, you know, when you've... Sam Pittman and those guys at Arkansas, you know, Sam is an offensive line kind of guru and, and uh, you wouldn't have known it last week. They try to change some things up and eventually went back to the regular offensive line, a ton of pre-snap penalties last week uh, for for Arkansas. So uh, eager to see what they look like against Alabama. Arkansas's a beat up football team too. Maybe not as beat up as us, uh, but they likely will be after they play Alabama and uh, eager to see how that game kind of plays out. But, uh, Guys, the injuries are part of football. And uh, I get everywhere I go, people are like, What does this say about strength and conditioning? Guys, there is absolutely nothing you can do when you get rolled up in a the pile. There's no amount of jumping jacks, there's no amount of weights, there's no amount of cardio, there's no amount of uh, strength and nutrition or whatever. When you get rolled up on and you get a 300 pound man rolling up the backside of your Achilles and your ankle, uh, it's going to hurt. And it may even do some damage. And there's nothing that anybody can do. Nothing. You can tape it up. You can put braces on. But sometimes people get hurt. The game of football is physical. And it's not always somebody's fault. It's just the nature of the game. Injuries are part of the game. That's part of the journey over the course of a season. The teams that have the depth to be able to absorb those injuries continue to win. Those that don't, generally lose. But it's like all of a sudden something happens and we want to find some way to assign blame or motive. Well, this wouldn't have happened if this person had done their job. Sometimes that happens. You know, listen, goodness gracious, man. I mean, like when I was in high school, I lost most of my junior year because I was in a car accident. Like i going to go sue Ford. Is it Ford's fault? You know, I didn't get to finish my junior year. And sometimes when it's cold, that old ankle will let me know. Right? You know how it is. Started, got cold weather coming. Like like an old man with rheumatism. Right? But it's not always somebody's fault. And uh, one of the things, again, you know, that, that I think about when it comes to this injury thing is like, you know, when you go back and look at the bad luck that we've had on the defensive front this year, and people are like, oh, well, David Turner's regressing. Guys, David Turner, one of the best assistant coaches of, of my lifetime at Mississippi State as a recruiter, as a developer, You don't believe me? Ask his players. Ask his former players. And there's a reason the guys come here to play for David Turner. They don't just come here because they like cowbells. They come here because they know David Turner is a guy that can develop them and hopefully give them the opportunity to play professional football. David's a fantastic recruiter, a fantastic human being, and a fantastic coach. It's true. And, uh, you know, we got some guys, you know, actually people, you know, I'm not one that's ready to just, you know, kind of castigate Jeff Phelps here. Uh, did I think that the coaching was great on the defensive line? Probably not. But from the recruiting standpoint, you know, who do you think signed Deontay Anderson and Gabe Moore and Caleb Bryant? You know, that's all part of the, the you know, the equation too. You know, so I give Jeff credit for getting things done. He went out and got Ty Cooper too, who was the number one rated defensive end in the, country, in, in the state that year. Uh, now Ty hadn't played as much as we expect him to play. But that was a very contentious recruiting battle between State and Ole Miss. It was so you know Jeff did a good job recruiting. And Did we cast a wide enough net? Well, that can that can be argued, right? But Deontay Anderson's probably everybody's kind of favorite newcomer in many respects this year, and that's a Jeff Phelps recruiting win. Kid was an All-American in high school, and we get him up here, and you're starting to see him do some things, you know, and so. I say it because I think it's important. Let's frame it up for what it really is and not for what we think it is. Because there are a lot of things that are out there. When we're losing, and like there's all this information vacuum, people want to fill that vacuum with their own you know, rhetoric. And there are a lot of things out there that aren't true that people just want to be true. It's like they keep repeating them and thinking, okay, well, at some point, I'll speak this into existence. That's just not how life works. I mean, listen, I get what your life coach told you. And there's some self-affirmation you can do, but you don't control the universe with your own little feelings. And if that's the case, Mississippi State would win every sporting event and every sport in my lifetime. Because that's what I want to happen. I want us to always win, don't you? But even all of that collective synergy has not changed the outcome of anything. You know, I can't count the times that i it'll be a big third down. I even say a little prayer. Come on, God, help us out here. You know, because, uh, you know, I believe those things. I think they matter, but you know, it's one of those things that's just you know what's true is true. And in this day and age, there' so many people, of course, uh, we have our own interpretations of the truth, right? It's like, you know what two plus two is four. Well, is it really four? Yes, yes, it's four. It, 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 it is four. Yeah. You can take two items, lay them on a table and add two more, and it's going to be four. It is. It's not a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of interpretation. There are four items there. But yes, one of these items may have had uh, you know a chip here. and What if it's broken here? Then it's technically five. No, no, it's four. It's still four. It's still gonna be four. And so it's kind of like this deal too. You know, it's like, well, there's, this is what I want to be true. It's like, Steve, you put two down. I put two down. I want this to be seven. Well, you can call it seven, but it's still gonna be four. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, so much of this is out there. And it's like, well, this is what I believe. But well, what you believe may be completely false. And you gotta leave some room for that. Right? And that's one thing that I have learned about injuries. The first report is almost always very, very half-measured and self-serving, right? Usually when they tell me oh, he's gotta be further evaluated, that means it's bad, right? If it's not, if it's not a serious issue. And I can't count how many times in the past where somebody will pop up and say, hey, this guy's out. And and immediately I get a phone call from somebody and says, ah, no, he's good. He's good. When I don't get the phone call that tells me he's good or when people kind of start evading me a little bit, I know it's bad. Now, how bad remains to be seen, right? But when things are good, you know, like say for an example, you know, I remember when, do you remember when, uh, you remember when Bear went down in the Alabama game and they had to cart him off? Remember that? And he never missed a snap. And I remember as it happened, he's being carted off, you know, like b- before the game is over, people are like, oh, Bear's done for the year. Bear wasn't done for the night. Yeah, he didn't return to the ball game, but he was fine. He was. And then the next day, you know, I make a phone call and say, man, how bad was it with Bear? Oh, he's fine. (laughs) That's just Bear being Bear, you know, God rest his soul. But when all of a sudden people aren't out there kind of, you know, kind of letting us know, it's always cause for concern. All right, so for today's top 10 list, as always, brought to you by ClothesWithBlair.com. Blair has made the move to Priority One Mortgage he has moved, the website and phone number have remained the same. So if you're looking to, uh, you know, reach out to Blair, yeah, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe you just want to give him a health state or maybe you, uh, you know, maybe you need to get some serious business done as it relates to your mortgage. You're not going to call or text anybody with better expertise than Blair Chandler. Simple as that. We'll just kind of lay the gauntlet down right here and whoever wants to pick it up, we'll, we'll, we'll fight it out. 22 years of experience in this industry, back-to-back-to-back close ratio in a top 1% in the country. It's true. Blair's a guy that gets things done. Absolutely gets things done. Give him a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. 44 or visit him on his website at closewithblair.com. Again, that's C L O S E with Blair, B L A I R.com. Get all your mortgage questions answered for sure. All right, today's top 10, we're going to do ACDC this week. You know, we did Van Halen and we did Van Hagar. We didn't do the Gary Sharon year, though. No, we didn't. I love Gary Sharon from Extreme. I do. We've done an Extreme top 10. But I thought, you know what, we've done ACDC before too, but why don't we split it up? We'll do Bon Scott years, and we'll do Brian Johnson years. How about that? We won't do the Axl Rose year. We'll just do the two legends. Because ACDC was an established band when Bon Scott died. They were already established. They were rocking all over the world. And a lot of people are like, well, I've heard Thunderstruck, and you shook me all night long. Then I'm going to be honest with you, you're selling yourself short. Now uh, a couple songs that uh, you know, that didn't make the list here uh, that I thought maybe we would throw a little uh, you know honorable mention to you know problem child I didn't include that one I didn't I didn't include that one and uh, there's one particular one and I'll try to keep this PG 13 uh, it's about parties and soirees you know big big events. But we didn't, we're not gonna we're not gonna call it for what it is, because it's a little bit uh, innuendo there. Uh, but you can rest assured that I have the biggest of them all. All right, let's jump into the top 10. Top 10 ACDC songs with Bon Scott on vocals as determined by your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Number 10, it's rock and roll damnation. I love this one because it's just pure rock and roll. Just straight ahead, twos and fours in your face, good vocals. Uh, baseline is uh really kind of simplistic there, but the reality of it is this is just these are the kinds of songs that made ACDC great. Number nine, I remember being a kid kind of discovering these earlier albums from ACDC. This is one of my favorite songs ever. If you want blood, you got it. That's the thing about rock and roll, man. It's like it's it's the voice of rebellion. I mean, it really is. That's the thing. Like nowadays, it's like I get so. I'm appreciative of everybody's art. Okay, let's make sure we get that established. But um, the rock band, the self-loathing rock band, Feel Sorry for Me, Oh, Woe is Me, that stuff is just absolutely insufferable, man. I understand there's a time and place for everybody of that. There's some times in life when you feel down and you just want to have a song that matches your mood. I get it. But... You know, the bands that are always a little more in your face, you know, got a little more of an edge to them. I kind of gravitate to that. Number eight, speaking of gravitating, it's uh, Off Highway to Hell. It's Girls Got Rhythm, the Backstreet Rhythm. I mean, you got to love this song. How do you not? To me, it's like I think about the best Bon Scott songs. This one jumps in there. And, And the fact that this is number eight tells you about the list to come. Absolutely love this one, man. And I love the percussion on it. It's just sonically such a great song. It's been remastered a couple times. And it's like you begin to only begin to imagine how great Sonic would this song would be if it had been recorded in digital quality back in its infancy. Amazing song, Girls Got Rhythm. Number seven, a bit of a blues jam here. And you know where I'm going with this one if you're a longtime ACDC fan. This is, a, again, a song that was a fan favorite. They played it live. And they still play it at times on uh, on the road, but certainly on the radio. Kind of the bluesy, speakeasy, sounding the jack. Number seven. You got to get that one in there. It's really unlike anything else in the catalog. Number six. You know, I think Bon Scott might have been into this whole, um, you know, maybe he was out of his time, right? Because Bon Scott loved all women, right? He didn't just like the ones, you know, Cosmo and that kind of stuff, the stick figurines. It what is thing. He just loved them all. And he wrote a song about it called A Whole Lot of Rosie. And um, you can do the math yourself. And so um, there we go. Number five, let there be rock. If you were a uh, rock band enthusiast and you used to play the uh, video game rock band, and we, we still do as a family sometimes. How about that? We still do it we still do it we still get together and we do it matter of fact we upgrade equipment when you guys sell it on ebay or whatever we just do it we get together and we jam we have a good time and uh, I guess it was Rock Band 3 maybe and Let There Be Rock of course was kind of like the, uh, the background song for this from ACDC and it's on there too and, and uh, that bass line on there is so 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 repetitive and so fast great great track Let There Be Rock number four Man, you know it. You know it before I even say it because you can feel it in your bones. It's TNT. I'm dynamite. Man, I love this one. This is one of those anthemic songs you can put it on at a concert in, pre, in, in, in between bands and you just crank it up and the, the entire crowd will sing. It's amazing. Number three, I felt guilty singing this when I was younger. I did. I sing it now, and even though uh, I, it's you know, it, it doesn't. It, it's not autobiographical, but uh, it's a song that caused a lot of controversy and a lot of people didn't like it because you know I grew up in the South, right here in the Bible Belt. You didn't talk about going to hell, and especially ACDC celebrating going to hell It's Highway to Hell," that's your number three song today. I know some people right now clutching their pearls and say, Steve, how could you do it? Well, it's because of the fact I can separate reality from art. Number two, another song that uh, might upset some people. It's about being a hitman. We didn't include an Prowler either. Just just kind of give that out there. We we didn't include an Prowler, Uh, But number two, it's Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. That's what it's about, you know. And I think it's one of Bon Scott's best vocal performances of his career. And it's, you know, the, the reaction to the guitarists on this, it's just this, it's a symphony of sound in many respects. And it was so incredibly well done, even for its time and lack of technology. Goes to show you how talented those guys were. But number one, and you may disagree, and that's okay, I think we're perfectly okay to disagree about classic bands like ACDC because I don't think any of us could be wrong. You could make a case for so much. When you've got a band like ACDC, it's like, hey, this is my favorite song. Hey, cool, man. Cool. It's one of my favorites, too. I could probably think of about 50 ACDC songs as, you know what? This might be my favorite. But this is my favorite Bon Scott song. Made famous by the Great School of Rock movie with Jack Black. I've probably seen it a hundred times and they close it out with long way to the top. If you want to rock and roll, what an amazing song and uh, thankful that Jack Black kind of reintroduced that to a new generation of fans. Cause again, so many people, you know, ACDC from Brian Johnson, a lot of you young bucks, it's all you really know, right? But the Bon Scott years were really, really strong. Not in any way to take anything away from Brian Johnson. I really felt like ACDC hit a new level with Brian Johnson. Of course, you also had uh, you know, Z-Rock Radio, you had MTV coming around, but Bond Scott was out there blazing trails, man, a long time uh, before many of the bands that we know and love today, and I think it's important we give him his due. So here on the Yard, that's one of the things that we do. We want to keep this music alive, we want to introduce it to a new generation of fans, but also celebrate it with our own generation. And so, check them out, ACDC's Bond Scott Top 10 Songs. Uh, Roy Samanti, my friend, will have these on Spotify for you very, very soon. And uh, there's sometimes Roy will do two in a day or he'll skip a day. And, you know, Roy's getting old. You know, he is. I don't know that he's kind of come to grips with that, but he is getting old. And I think sometimes he has a spell and he forgets. He's like, Did I do that list? I sound like Bill Clinton a little bit. Roy does sound a little bit like Bill Clinton when he's tired. I wonder if I did Steve's list. But he didn't. We hadn't got a duplicate list yet, but at times, you know, that's kind of what happens. So forgive Roy in his uh, old age. Uh, we will love him right where he is. Uh, but Roy puts these things together. You can follow Roy on Twitter, and I suggest that you do, at dogmatic67, D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7, He's not going to be tweeting out selfies and like pictures of his breakfast and things like that. I mean, it's just that's that's not what we do, you know. And you can follow me on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R. If you're not following me on Twitter, what are you doing with your life? That's where all your Mississippi State news comes from. That's where we get our news these days, right? Twitter and Facebook. Let me encourage you to pit peeve of mine, full confession. Hey guys, read the articles before you comment. And I don't just mean my articles or Gene's page articles or anything related to Mississippi State. Uh, let's not just fall for a catchy, pithy headline and just begin this faux outrage. Because yeah, I wrote an article recently which kind of chapped my hide a little bit, to be honest with you. I wrote an article and kind of explained, uh, I guess it was a Joe Moorhead piece the other day or about the three cl- classes under Joe, right? And so he explains in the article how many of those guys transferred out. The very first question, and one to Facebook groups, one of the very first questions, how many transfers we have? once you read the article, you know, it could save you some keystrokes and me some time, right? But it's not just me. You know, it's like there's people out there, it's like all of a sudden that they get you with the clickbaity headline. Like I saw a thing the other day with uh you know John Five, you know, who's now the new guitar player, Motley, left Rob Zombie to join Motley and play some McMars. And so the headline says. John 5 talks regrets of joining Motley Crue or leaving Rob Zombie, whatever it was. It's not at all what he said. But all of a sudden, you go read the comments and everybody's like, oh, no, no, no. Then you read the, it's completely different context. The quote itself was completely different from the title. And then we're all upset. It's like, I can't believe he would say this if he regretted it. He didn't say it. Just some clickbait bandit out there got you. I guess they didn't really get you because you didn't click the link. But before we comment, let's read. You know, we're not just writing headlines and putting a pretty picture out there for you to look at. You know, We're trying to you know, facilitate information. Because when you control the mail, you control information. Some people will know the reference. Others won't. But anyway, that's it for today's top 10 list and uh, so much more to talk about here in the show. We're going to get into a little bit in depth about the uh, article I wrote today, kind of give you some things I didn't put in the article, some observations, some numbers, and things like that. I think it's important uh, that we kind of take a look at where we are because that's one of the things about life, it doesn't matter if it's sports or whatever, if you can't identify the starting point, you can't fix it. And uh, I worked for a guy that was extremely brilliant years ago. I've worked with some really talented people in my day. And he made the comment, he said, Steve, anything that is measured improves. Anything. It's like, so you got to have a starting point. Take an inventory. This is where we are. And all of a sudden, once you identify where you are and then where you are in connection to your peers and contemporaries, you begin to institute some best practices to improve your standing. Because how many times you say, hey, how, how many transfers did we have the last few years? I don't, I don't know. Well, now we do. You know How how many many guys are sticking around? What's that like in relation to the rest of the Southeastern Conference? Well, now we have that information. And so now that we have it, now we can begin to fix it. Now we know exactly where we stand. Now we can begin to think, is this a recruiting miss? Is this a situation where we didn't develop a guy? Do we have too quick a gong? Do we have a disciplinary issue? There's a lot to it, but we're going to get to it after the break. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. They have been here forever today, serving a wonderful fan base, helping you uh, get all the Mississippi State merchandise you need. Nobody has a collection of merch more extensive than they do. Miss Kathy Brown doing a great job buying what you need to outfit your home, your car, your RV, your pet, your fan cave, whatever it is you're looking to put Mississippi State merchandise into, could be your closet, I don't know, your wallet, whatever. She can help you with that. Visit them next time you come to town. Very easy to get to. Turn off 182 right there at the state trooper station. Uh, encourage you to obey the posted speed limit signs. Use your blinker and uh, ride towards campus and neatly positioned just on the left-hand side before you get to campus is campus bookmark. If you're a commuter student, you can even park there for free. How about that? That's a cool little feature. If you can't make it to town or parking's not necessary, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 absolutely incomplete. All right. Spent a lot of time working on this, and I'm going to try to slow it down and break it down for you as easily as I can. Wrote an article earlier today, but I wanted to get a little deeper inside the numbers here and kind of explain the purpose behind this. You know, I wrote the piece about attrition's part of our uh, depth issues, and a lot of it's because many of the players signed under Joe Moorhead are no longer here. Yeah, 55.7% of the players that we signed in the Joe Moorhead era of the four-year variety are gone. It's a lot. And those are the guys that should be uh, your upperclassmen, right? Should be your juniors and seniors. So one of our readers at Gene Spade said, Steve, how does that compare to the rest of the SEC? So I was curious. And I thought, what if we took a bigger sample size? You may not know this, but we're about a week away from the five-year anniversary of the opening of the NCAA Transfer Portal. And of course, a couple years into this thing, they uh, opened up the one-time transfer exception. So you're going to see more transfers because, you know, you have immediate eligibility. So what I did is for the years 2019, 20, 21, 22, and 23, I looked up everybody's signees and enrollees, subtracted out, any transfers from junior college guys and just went with the, the, the true high school and prep guys that have four years of eligibility because that's really the lifeblood of your program. You use the portal to kind of supplement maybe a recruiting miss here or an injury there or a transfer out. It's really it's kind of a band aid. But by and large, the lifeblood of your program is going to be high school players. And so we totaled them up. So 2019 you had 309 players from the high school ranks signed with SEC member institutions. That's also the first year the transfer portal existed. That year we only had four transfers among our little group, right? So not very many, because you still had to sit a year if you transferred. In 2020, we had 290 players signed with SEC institutions, it's 19 less. That trend continued the following year with just 276 players. So you saw a nice little uh, negative dip as it relates to high school players' opportunities within the Southeastern Conference. That's 33 less players, so about 11%. And, of course, those scholarship slots were going to players in the portal. And so it's like, why would I go sign a high school guy when I can go get a guy with two years in a college weight room? And so as a result, you started seeing less and less high school players selected. Well, in 2022, that number was back up to 300, and this year it's 304. So we're pretty much back to where we started in the infancy of the portal. And so the conclusion that I could draw from that, and again, it's just mere speculation, is you begin to think, you know what, after two years into this, people realized, you know what, hey, we're straying too far away from our core recruiting philosophy, We can't just prioritize the portal. And I think about within our state, that was a big thing at Ole Miss, right? They've hit on some portal guys this year. They certainly have. I mean, they just kind of say it for what it is. And so, but this year in recruiting, you've seen them really prioritize high school recruiting. I think in many respects, you can't run a four year program like you can a junior college. Because, like in JUCO, you're never building anything, it's all about this year's team. I just don't think that works. In major college football. I think you have to have a strong nucleus of players that learn your system, they're within your culture, and they begin to grow, develop, and mature together as a group and build some real cohesion. It's a much higher level of competition. So it makes sense that you would have more guys in your system that understand your expectations, your philosophy, and schematically what you want to get things done. Not to mention the offenses and defensive systems that we run – in the Southeastern Conference, a little more sophisticated than what you see in junior college. So, again, I think you saw a maybe a pretty big reliance on the portal for a couple of years, but I think now you're beginning to see people kind of say, you know what, hey, you know what, let's begin to rethink this a little bit. So total number of transfers, excuse me, signees uh, over that five-year period, and again, I may have missed one or two, was 1,479. Of course, you divide divide that by 14, right? And it's a little over 100 players per team. Now, not everybody hit the median number in there. Alabama signed 127 high school players during that five year stretch, which is the most in the Southeastern Conference. 127. Missouri signed the fewest at 85. And that's important to kind of understand there, too. You know, 85, yeah. So, of course, they work the portal a little bit. They've had some success there, too. They also are a, very, a program that relies some on junior college players. But when you look at the premier teams in this conference, you look at the Alabamas, you look at Georgias, you look at the teams that are notably high each year in recruiting rankings. Your Texas A&M recently had a number one class in the country. Those classes are largely comprised of high school players. And, of course, if I can go pick the 25 that I want, you've got to play with leftovers, I'm going to win, Right. That's what a winning culture does for you. But when you begin to look at the fact that there's so many programs that are achieving at a high level and they're doing it without a huge reliance on the portal, you know, Joe Burrow may be the most famous transfer of all time. There's a backup quarterback at Ohio state goes to LSU wins a Heisman trophy and an NFL championship. He is the exception rather than the rule. There are a lot of guys that enter the transfer portal that end up going nowhere, That's an important thing to understand, too. There is no guarantee when you go in the portal that you're going to find a situation better than the one you're leaving. Everybody's situation is different. And there's all this talk about mental health. Well, this coach hurt my feelings. I want to transfer out. I don't know if that's helping things or not. But again, if you look at the numbers again, there is a quantitative conclusion we can draw here when you see the teams that are winning at a high rate regularly signing more high school players. Of course, they've already got a system in place. They already have a culture in place. And so you go out and you recruit with that in mind. And guys understand when they get here, I got to come in and put in a couple of years and earn my place. When you have some hotshots show up at a place like Mississippi State or Ole Miss or somewhere like that, South Carolina, and they don't get what they want immediately, they're just going to get in the portal. And we're seeing that happening with greater regularity. As I mentioned, in 19, we only had four transfers as a conference from this group of players. Of this 1,479 players that signed a scholarship and enrolled from the high school level from 19 to 23, just four players in 19. That number rises to 15 in 2020. In 21, it goes up to 80. It nearly doubled in 2022. You begin to ask yourself, okay, well, what's the correlation there? Well, yes, number one, the ease and understanding of the transfer process was much greater. But also, too, NIL was approved. Now, that happened actually in 2021, July 1st. But those first few months, if you recall, nobody knew what was legal, what was going to get you in trouble. The NCAA had set some kind of guardrails around all of this, but we weren't sure how they were going to enforce it. By the time we get to 2022, you have all these collectives that have been built. So rather than having to arrange marketing opportunities for players, you had these collectives that could just write them a check. And there was no quid pro quo. The players didn't have to do anything but ask for the money. So then all of a sudden, people begin to couple NIL opportunities with the recruitment of transfer portal prospects. And so again, we go from 80 to 155. Now you say, but Steve, what about the next year? Well, here the data for 2023 as far as transfer goes is incomplete. Because we're going to have another transfer portal window open at the end of the season. And as it stands right now, there's 232 players from our pool of of 1,479 players. Between now and December, let's just say, for an example, you start working through this here, and you know there's going to be some wholesale changes around the conference when it comes to these rosters. There's a really good chance that we're going to see upwards of 300 players. We're already at 232. And then you open up that window and you got what 6 weeks to figure this thing out, 45 days, whatever it is. So we're going to see another doubling of transfers. And that's likely going to take uh, you know our total number of transfers of our 1,479 players easily north of 550, maybe even as high as 600. Let that sink in for a second. Out of nearly 1,500 players, there's a good chance that 600 of them are going to transfer away from the school that they initially signed with. As it stands right now, even without the prospects, that will end the portal in December. The SEC average for transfers is 32.86%. So one in three high school players that signed between 2019 and 2023 have transferred. One in three. And you say, but Steve, that's, that's remarkable. Well, I think it is remarkable. I think the data itself kind of lends itself to where you begin to ask yourself, is this good for college football? I understand that it's good for the individual student athlete. But is this good for college football? And I don't know have the answer to that. I think that's something that we're going to figure out, maybe look back in hindsight and be able to make some real conclusions with so you look at the uh, the average, 32.86. Well, who's doing well? Well, I think, you know, it's interesting. Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is half of the conference average. But let's be fair about that. Vanderbilt is truly the outlier here because, you know, you don't go to Vanderbilt to play football. You may play football to help pay for your education, but you're attracted to Vanderbilt purely, more times than not, because of academic pursuits more so than athletic. And their results as a program over the last two generations, reflect that. They're just over 15%. I reached out to Barton Simmons last night, who uh, used to work for 247 Sports, that now is uh, at Vanderbilt. And I said, hey, I'm releasing this article tomorrow, and I'm sure you already know this, but you guys have the highest high school retention rate in the Southeastern Conference. And he goes, oh, yeah, we know. We use it in recruiting all the time. Well, of course they do. You know, what a great thing to be able to sit down with an in-home visit with mom and dad and say, hey, we've got the best high school retention rates and graduation rates in a Southeastern Conference. Guys that sign with us stay with us. They become part of our culture here. They become Vanderbilt men. They get a degree, and they go into the workforce with Vanderbilt education on their belt. That's a really big selling point. It may be one of the only selling points, but it is, because you know when you go to Vanderbilt, you're not going to play for anything substantial. And if you, if you happen to make a bowl game, your team is legendary. But you don't go to Vanderbilt just to play football. You're going there for the Vandy Diploma. Let's just call it for what it is. Number two on the list is Georgia. You say, but Steve, you know, it makes perfect sense. Well, it does. 21.49%. So four out of five players or thereabouts of high school players are sticking with the Bulldogs. You say, well, yeah, they've won back-to-back national championships. I don't think that that's necessarily the issue. Yes, that's part of the issue. Everybody wants to be a part of a winning organization. Everybody. Everybody wants to win. Nobody wants to lose. So if you go to Georgia, hey, I got a chance to get a ring and be an NFL champion. You know what? I might not be quite as impatient when it comes to playing time because I'm part of something special. But I think the bigger issue here is it just shows that Kirby Smart and his staff are doing a better job of evaluating and recruiting players. They have built a system there, and they have built the program that enables them to kind of pick and choose who they're going to recruit. You know, for some of us, we sign who we can get. Georgia, by and large, is signing who they want. And then they're winning big with those kids. So you're making better evaluations. You're doing a better job recruiting. And as a result, the on-the-field results – are the payoff for the great job you do on the recruiting trail. Guys aren't leaving. Now, let's look at the bottom half of this. You know, who are the teams that are struggling? Well, your Bulldogs are one of them. Now, the number 12 team as it comes to transfer rating is Auburn. It's 40.86%. Now, you begin to ask yourself, what's the significance of that? Well, Auburn is one of two teams that has made two coaching changes in the last five years. Two. Of course, Gus Malzahn leaves. They bring in Brian Harrison. It was a very difficult coaching search. They bring him in. Immediately there's issues, and he's gone in two years. And then they bring in Hugh Freeze. And then, of course, Coach Freeze has to kind of rehabilitate the roster and is somewhat relying on the portal. So your number of high school players are down, in fact – Auburn signed the third lowest number of high school players during that five-year stretch. Missouri had the last, the, the lowest, then Ole Miss, and then Auburn. So only 93 high school players signed in five classes. And then you had 38 transfers. And of course, after uh, the you know, all the, the, the coup attempt to get Brian Harrison out, right? Uh, you had players hitting the portal. It's like, hey, the culture's become toxic here. And that's one thing that Auburn they always talk about is what a good player environment they have. But things got a little bit dicey. And so they are the 12th lowest retention rate in the conference for this five-year period. And then just just beyond that is Mississippi State at 41.05%. I mean, we're talking one player, right? We had one more transfer than they did. And so, and we signed uh, you know two more high school players, but but my point being here is that State and Auburn right there, twelve and thirteen would then just you know percentage points away from each other. What's the combination? What's the commonality here? Mississippi State's made two coaching changes in the last five years. That one was unexpected. I guess in many respects, they're all unexpected. I mean, we didn't think in year two of the Joe Moorhead era we'd have to make that decision. We did. You bring in Mike Leach, you think Mike's probably here for a while, and unfortunately Mike passes away, and we bring in Arnett. So, when you look at the fact that these two teams made multiple, the only two teams in a Southeastern Conference to make multiple coaching changes in five years have the lowest retention rates. Now, Last place is Tennessee, 41.75%. Of course, they had a ton of players that left once the NCAA investigation was announced. And Jeremy Pruitt and those guys uh, were ousted, and it appeared that Tennessee was going to get hit with major sanctions. And so players are like, you know what, I'm getting out of here. I'm not going to ride the sink and ship down and give Josh Heupel and that group a lot of credit. They nearly made the playoff last year, despite the fact they had so many players leave. And so you look at the three bottom teams and you begin to ask yourself, what do these three teams have in common? They're from three different states, even though they kind of recruit in the same recruiting footprint. It's off the field issues. Coaching changes and an NCAA scandal. So there's no stability in those programs. Players are not going to stay in environments that are toxic. Players are not going to stay in environments that do not lend itself to success. And not to mention, when you change coaches, more times than not, you change offensive and or defensive philosophy. You go back and look, you know, when when um, Joe Moorhead was hired at Mississippi State, well, Keaton Thompson transferred. Garrett Schrader ultimately won the job. You know, Tommy Stevens, of course, gets injured, you know, but so Keaton moves along. Keaton was a great fit for the Dan Mullen offense. I don't know that he was for the Joe offense. Jalen Maiden transferred. Then you begin to think about Mike Leach gets here, right? Mike Leach shows up. Uh, Garrett Schrader moves to wide receiver and ultimately transfers, and now he's a starting quarterback at Syracuse. Mike Leach passes away, and then all your air raid quarterbacks leave with the exception of your starter. You know, people forget, you know, for a while there, we only had two scholarship quarterbacks, War Riders and, and Chris Parson. Then you add Mike Wright. And so you, when you have these dramatic changes in scheme, you're going to lose quarterbacks. When guys were picked to run a specific scheme, the scheme changes, and give Garrett Schrader and Keaton an opportunity that they came in and tried to prove that they could do the job. And for one reason or another, whether it be the player or the coach, somebody decides, you know what, this isn't a good fit, so let's move forward. And then you do that twice in five years. Make a major shift offensively in what you want to do, what your objectives are. You're going to lose quarterbacks. And that sets your program back. That's important to understand. And, again, this isn't an opinion. This is the data speaking. And you start looking at the middle of the pack, and you can say, well, yeah, well Steve, you know, Ole Miss is ahead of us. I mean, just barely. They sent 92 high school players and had 35 transfers. You know, they're, they're at 38.04. I mean, they're just, you know, percentage, you know, a couple percent ahead of us. But, uh, you know, much closer to the SEC average. And what's interesting, too, and, and I ran the numbers here, and if I can flip back and find them, What's interesting, too, we talk about the coaching change aspect of it. Uh, There's been no coaching change at A&M, at Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, last five years. The only teams that can say that. And four of those five teams are performing better than the SEC average when it comes to player retention. There is a direct correlation between stability at the head coach and stability within a roster. And so those are the things that I think you begin to kind of ask yourself. I and mean, we talk a lot about NIL, and certainly that's, you know, that's you know, certainly a trigger for some guys to go get in the portal. Hey, I'm not getting my playing time here. Uh, let me go see if I can go somewhere else and get some playing time and maybe make a little cash in the process. And there's some people out there that obviously uh, lighted up on the uh, FCS or the G5 level, and all of a sudden they became a prospect of interest. That doesn't reflect our numbers. Uh, we're, we're, we're talking about strictly – High school recruiting. That's an important aspect of all of this. If we all believe that the lifeblood of our program is high school recruiting, then we've got to do a better job of this. Not just at Mississippi State, but throughout college football. And you begin to think to yourself, you know, Steve, well, you know, maybe this is just the world that we live in, that one in three players is going to transfer. I think by the time this year is over, it's going to be more than that. It's probably going to be two and five rather than one and three. And so you begin to ask yourself, you know, what can we do to stem the flow of the NCAA transfer portal? Well, I think part of the issue too is, you. number one, you got to do a better job evaluating players. You know, a lot of the players in Mississippi, like in Mississippi State, let's just take a look at our numbers here. We, over, those, over those five years, we, had, we signed 95 high school players. 95. And in 2023, we signed 23, which was the high point. When you get into 19, zero transfers among that group. In 2020, we had two. Now, some of those guys were guys that we signed, and then when Leach got here and we began testing for, uh, you know, for narcotics regularly, some of those guys had to go. You had some rules violators, so they left. That's important to understand. And I apologize for that, but you know, here's the thing. Everything that's measured improves. Everything. Everything. As I mentioned earlier in the show, everything that's measured improves. Now we kind of know where we are. Now we can begin to take some steps. But I think one of the things that makes you do is you got to really drill down your evaluation you got to make sure these guys fit exactly what you need them to do and that they fit your culture. Because if not, they're going to hit the portal. I think one of the things, too, and would be interesting, and I'm sure this data exists out there. We may not be able to get our hands on it. But what's the percentage of uh, players that transfer that leave their state or leave a border state, right? You understand people that you know, are in a border state are reasonably close to home. What about people that... That leave because as I'm running through numbers yesterday, I noticed how many players transferred back to an in state institution. You know, is that some data that you can use to kind of encourage guys to stay home? Say, you know what? Hey, I understand you want to get out and experience something besides your homeland, but look, and here's what the data suggests guys get out there, get a little homesick, and they move back closer. Why not just come be a part of it now? I think all that's very interesting. And now that we've got a five-year sampling size, as I mentioned, that, you know, we did the full year of 18, didn't happen. That was, you know, middle of October. I think October 15th is correct. So we're about a week away or less than a week away, something like that. Anyway, it was October of 18 when they opened the portal. And so now is a good time, I think, for us to really kind of analyze the impact it's having on our program and really our league and college football as a whole. I would be interested to know what the numbers look like around the country. And uh, it's more – that I want to bite off and chew. But I thought you guys would find it interesting. One of the things that I bring up, too, is that uh, the only thing that kept us from being dead last, and I don't say that to, you know, with any you know, sting in my voice, is an NCAA investigation at Tennessee. That's the only thing. And so I think you add in some recruiting misses, but I think, more importantly, it's two coaching changes in quick succession changes major changes in offensive philosophy and so when you begin to work through all this dynamic and you begin to think about okay what does the data support and there's no there's no recruiting class worth the program right simple as that i think we can let's establish that you say well you know if we fire the coach we're going to lose recruits and that's true but it's up to the new coach to either keep them in the boat or replace them with comparable talent you can't be held hostage by a recruiting class Especially when a third of it's going to leave you anyway. I think, that, I think that's the, the subplot in every bit of this. But I think the reality of it is is you, you've got to think long and hard about what you want to do because the new coach, chances are, is going to have to rebuild the roster. And as this shows, when you do it two times quickly, you're basically, basically putting yourself in a situation where you're talent deficient. You may have good front line guys, but you don't have the depth to compete in this league. I think we're seeing it all. Around. Look at look at what we've done against non-conference foes as a conference this year, right? I mean, Alabama and Texas, and I'm sure Texas maybe has some of the same issues. But you know, Nick Saban's not a guy. that's a big advocate for NIL, and I had somebody tell me recently that if when you know Saban uh, may elect to hang it up because he didn't want to compete in an NIL world. It's not you know he's he's kind of like the rest of us in many respects. It's like hey. We're going to offer you an opportunity to come here and get your education, potentially be a multimillionaire, and if you want to pick another team over us because they're willing to give you $10,000 and go do that. The problem with that is there's there's more kids willing to do that than ever before. And I think Nick Saban, in many respects, has been a very reluctant participant in NIL. I think Nick just wants to recruit kids and play his game. I don't think Nick wants to get into negotiations with players. Just my personal opinion. But uh, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to see Sabin retire sooner rather than later. And I think NIL is a part of that. I think the transfer portal is part of it, too. But I just thought you found that interesting. And again, some things that I wanted to go over, some of that I touched on in the article, but some a little bit deeper, too. But, again, I think Mississippi State, we've got to evaluate how we're doing things. And it's not just related to recruiting. You know, it's, I think coach retention is part of that, too. And we didn't ask to make a coaching change last year. I mean, life just saw it differently but the numbers are the numbers. And so when you begin to look at you um, know and you can decide how important you think that is, I think player retention is exceptionally high on the tenets of success in college athletics. All right, last day for this man. You guys got to get ready tomorrow it it's one I've shared many times, guys, it's going to be one of these deals where you're going to look back and say, you know what, I wish that I would have been a part of that. Got a peach of a property. It's going to be auctioned off tomorrow. It's split into tracks. International Auction LLC is handling this auction. You can call them. Here's the, the local number, 256-439-1900. International Auction, LLC, this great property right there off 182, just, I mean, minutes away from the Mississippi State campus. Guys, you could eat dinner, and before you could even take the dogs out for their bathroom break, you can be at Duty Noble Field or be at Davis Wade Stadium or Humphrey Coliseum. Your neighbor is Mississippi State because this property butts up to the North Farm. How cool is that? And the reserve, guys, for some of these properties, it's going to start at $4,000 an acre. I know you're thinking, well, Steve, that property that close to campus is out of my price range. You're wrong. You're wrong. Today was the last day to go see it. But if you want to be a part of the online auction, and you can do it from the comfort of your home, you you can do it in person. You can come to 2 Sterling Drive. If that's what you want to do, you can do that. Put that in your GPS to Sterling Drive, Starville, Mississippi, S-T-I-R-L-I-N-G, or contact the folks at International Auction, get set up. That's to be an online bidder. Now, there's, of course, you know a deposit that's required to bid. You get your deposit back if you're a winning bidder. You don't win the auction, you get your money back. They just want to make sure you're serious. We're not going to get in a situation and you win. It's like, oh, well, I'll come up with the money later. No, 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 no. Not how it's going to work. I've toured this property, and again, it's uh, so many great amenities out there. It's like you you begin to look at this, you know, you you kind of wanted to have like your your neighborhood in the country. You can do that whether you're looking for an investment property or to build your primary residence out there. That Cypress Lake property is absolutely postcard quality, man. It is a beautiful place. You could be, you know, shoot a calendar out there if you want to and probably sell it, make some money. Absolutely outstanding. And tomorrow's it, on the 12th. And uh, so this is our last to ride with the fine folks at International Auction. Of course, a lot of bulldogs involved in this thing. Uh, I think it's important to understand opportunities like this don't come around very often. To grab some prime, some prime real estate in the city you love just minutes away from the Mississippi State campus, what could be better than that? International Auction, LLC. Again, the local number is 256-439-1900. And, again, if you just want to show up in bed, you don't have to give any advance notice to me. It's 2 Sterling Drive. It's tomorrow. Make sure that you uh, check it out. Be a part of that. And uh, any questions you have that we couldn't answer here on the show, again, 256-439-1900. All right, if you're going to be uh, looking for something to do this weekend, you know, your Bulldogs are playing over in Ruston against Louisiana Tech. Uh eager to see all the details about time and all that. We'll share that with you on Friday. And uh, I'm sure the uh, official Mississippi State baseball account will, will tweet that information out. Uh, if you if you live in North Louisiana and you say, you know what, I hadn't seen a Diamond Dogs in a while. I'd like to go be a part of that. You should. If, if we weren't going to be out of town, we would be out of town going to this, right? We wouldn't just be camped up in Starkville, uh, kind of wait for something to happen. We did meet with Chris Simonis and then uh, Stone Simmons and Dakota Jordan on Monday. Uh, and again, a lot of optimism, right? And all hope spring eternal in preseason. I think the main takeaway for me uh, when Stone Simmons spoke is just this, this exponential growth really throughout the staff. Now, some of the guys pitching right now are not going to be here come February. we got to cut the roster down. I'm not going to project and predict who makes it and who doesn't. But I do know Stone Simmons will be one of them. But Stone spoke extensively about just Justin Parker. You know, about the things that he did about uh, helping guys cultivate a competitive culture. And I know that's a lot of C's. I get it. We're looking for a lot of K's this year. Um, But he mentioned that. You know, it's just, hey, it's about the competitiveness. And to be honest with you, I think at times we probably did some things that didn't inspire a lot of confidence. I think we tried to take a cookie-cutter approach in many respects to pitching – and uh, we tried to make everybody be Will Bednar and, and Landon Sims, and they're just not. They don't have that kind of stuff or the ability. And so it's like, hey, well, this, you know, Will Bednar was able to do this. Why can't you? Well, not everybody's a first-round talent. And so you kind of got to build a game plan around the skill set and the strengths of each individual player. The guy that continues to be mentioned is the guy that has really blossomed under Justin Parker's is Colby Holcomb. And Stone Simmons mentioned that as well. So he's a completely different player. And we need him to be. We absolutely need him to be. This is a guy that's got, you know, a pro body. He's got pro potential. And now it appears he's beginning to realize his, his potential. Uh, you know what Nate's got? You know, and, and Lamona says there's probably a half dozen guys in the mix to be weekend starters. You know, we'll see that something will flesh out, you know, as we get into January. And then we'll be playing baseball in February. And he said this is probably the last year that we do fall ball as early as we do. There's a window of when you have to start. We're kind of getting it done and going to let some guys rest. And I think basically after all the, the changes that we've gone through, having fall baseball early may have been smart. Let's go ahead and get everybody together, figure out what we have. And we've got a few weeks before the end of the semester to kind of make some decisions about, you know, who we're keeping, who we're not, and uh, start defining some roles as we get into spring practice. It's an important aspect of this. I don't think there's any question – There is a lot of important decisions that we have to make. But I think it's interesting that that Stone Simmons starts mentioning some of these names. You know, guys, we we were expecting to be big players, and all of a sudden they're kind of reborn uh, under Justin Parker. And uh, Lamontis made the comment himself. He said, you know, we're kind of in the strike business right now. You know, and that's what you want. You know, how many times over the course of the last two years have you guys so been and so incredibly frustrated because we don't throw a competitive pitch on an advantage count? You know, we get ahead one and two, and rather than just finish a hitter, you know, we, we, we try to get cute. And then we don't execute a pitch, or we miss a location. Then it's an even count, and then next thing you know, we we can't finish a hitter. You know, we get ahead. How many times did you see it last year? We get ahead 0-2, 1-2, and end up walking somebody. It's one thing for them to hit their way on. But that was one thing that was frustrating to me last year. It's like we get into an advantage count, and then we just want to get cute and we nibble instead of command the zone and you know go up there and pitch with an edge. It's like we're not going to get you out. We want you to get yourself out. Well, I don't think that's winning baseball. I think you got to go out there and you got to force the issue. You think Bobby Reed would have gone out there and pitched that way? You think Jeff Brantley pitched that way? Now we will. We want to go attack hitters, and I think Justin Parker is bringing that mentality back to Mississippi State pitching. When you look back at Bednar, Landon Sims, those guys—they had an edge. They wanted to compete. They also had elite stuff. But what do you do when you don't have first-round stuff? You still got to compete. And I think one of the things that I've seen, you know really, the last year and a half, Mississippi State baseball, is we have had guys that were scared to compete, guys that didn't trust their stuff. And maybe they just didn't trust the pitch call. Maybe they just didn't buy in philosophically with what we were trying to get them to do. I've had multiple baseball parents that have told me that there were certain pitchers, their favorite pitch was kind of taken away from them. It's like if they couldn't throw it a certain way, with a certain analytics, with a certain regularity, we just said, well, we're not going to call it. We're not going to call it. And how many guys last year basically were just fastball slider? Well, you know, that, that works in high school. It doesn't work in a southeastern conference. It just doesn't – the hitters are too good. I mean, the number one way – the number one way to make hitters uncomfortable is to be able to, to take, you know, take something off, to be able to consistently throw an off-speed pitch. And I think uh, here in Lamona's talk with Gerangelo – he has found command of his changeup, especially from the left-hand side, and he made comment that Hunter Hines told him that thing is deadly. So, uh, again, I, I have upgraded my optimism level from cautiously optimistic to optimistic. Now, by the time the season gets here, I will have convinced myself that we're going to be a really good team. I'm just going to give you full disclosure right now. But uh, unlike many of you, I've actually been to see the team play. Now, Mike Nemeth has attended every scrimmage uh mike will not be going louisiana Tech, so we'll have to depend on the university release for that so just go ahead and kind of full disclosure we won't be there for that mike and him have plans this weekend uh family events uh planned and uh dan and i will be uh you know in tennessee as she runs a race so we won't have any coverage It'll be the only fall scrimmage that we miss but uh we'll be back uh, to finish up the fall uh, but I, I spend a lot of time when I'm at ball games talking to Mike. I mean, I make my own observation. I say, Mike, you know, what, what? What are your thoughts about this kid? You know, what are your thoughts about this guy? Uh, I, I think what maybe the consensus opinion is, is that we're beginning to see the returning players perform at a level we haven't seen before on the pitching side, especially. I mean, you know what you've got. You know, with Dakota, uh, you know what you've got. You have a Hunter Hines. And uh, Connor Isaac is a guy that has really come on here as of late, too. He had a couple big home runs over the weekend. Uh, Dakota Jordan specifically mentioned Logan Kohler uh, as a guy defensively that uh, has done a great job. And, again, you can go watch the videos of all these press conferences for free over at Gene's page right now. You can go as soon as the show's over and go watch the videos and see for yourself. But he mentioned Logan Kohler. I thought that was interesting because uh, early on, I thought Kohler defensively was where you needed him to be. The bat really wasn't. As we've gotten deeper into the fall, you're beginning to see him barrel some balls up. And as I mentioned, Connor Isaac, uh, I think four dingers now. I think he's tied with Spalletta for the lead. Something like – or close. But if you start thinking about Logan Kohler and Connor Isaac being double-digit home run guys, with what you have already returning – you begin to think about how good offensively this team could be, and yes, lead batter is not a part of the program anymore. So somebody's got to pick the slack up. But in conference play, you know, Colton was pretty inconsistent at times. Kind of call it for what it is. You know, I'm interested to see what we do with the Larry, Dylan Cobb, and Dave Mershon. Uh, you got some options there. Maybe Larry ends up being the right-handed DH on some days. I think you've got to have all three of those guys in there, but defensively. Uh, Dylan Cup is as advertised. And I think the bat is a little bit better than people suggested to me that it was, especially here in the last couple of weeks. I've seen him have some very competitive at bats. Uh, but as far as defense goes, as I mentioned on Monday show, we are a completely different unit compared to what we were last year. Anything hit to the left side now, I expect it to be an out. There are occasionally something will, will kind of stay low and kind of sneak through the six hole. Occasionally somebody could pull one inside the line. But it's not like it was last year where you just had to hold your breath. Bryce Chance has done some good things. you got to find a spot for him. you know. And so I, I think when you begin to work through all of this, you begin to realize what you have back and what the influx has come in and uh, you know, another top ten recruiting class. So you're beginning to stack some classes, and I think you're doing a good job kind of navigating through the MLB draft. So uh, we'll finish this thing up, and we'll get in, into um, – in the preseason camp here once we get back from the uh, Christmas holiday break, which will be here before you know it. But I like to kind of share that with you. I've been to more fall baseball scrimmages uh, this year than I have at any point in my life. Because I think it's important to have accurate information. I also know, too, that there are going to be a lot of people that will be writing and telling you about this guy looked good in the fall that we're not there. I, I, I know this. Uh, that's one of the things that I've learned, too, you know, with these uh, National College baseball writers. You know, they depend on word of mouth from other people. So I wanted to go see for myself. Went to a couple of scrimmages last year. I've been to, I guess, a dozen this year. And Mike's been to all of them. But I get a sense that uh, there is a bounce back here ahead of us. At least I certainly hope that's the case. And I feel better about it today, mainly because of the pitching side than anything else in defense, excuse me. All right, if you had not done so, go to winthebottomfalls.com, and I'll tell you, it's going to be next month before these books are out. I mean, they, they're still proofing things left and right. The books themselves, all that's being printed, and they'll be bound or whatever. So books are being printed uh, out of state. Still don't have an official release date, uh, but I'm just going to tell you now, expect it to be November. And uh, nothing in my control about that. And that's, that's two books in a row that I've had to deal with uh, some delays. And the problem with Dogpile, of course, we, there was a national paper shortage. Uh, this time it's a little different deal you know it's just one of those things there's a lot to this one and uh, it's been a little frustrating but uh, it's a process still get it done but uh yeah it's It's a few more weeks you know i'm eager to hold that book in my hands too nobody's more eager to have that book on the shelves than me you know Uh, so i want to provide you updates as i get them hopefully we will have uh, an actual release date here in the next few days hopefully by friday if not hopefully the first part of next week uh, if you hadn't done so, you can pre-order that. But uh, while you're waiting for that, you can get Flem Flam Alpha Dog Stark Villains uh, and Dog Pile from the same website, whenthebottomfalls.com. All those URLs go to the same place, all one website. And then uh, if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, and you certainly should be, get yourself a T-shirt or a hoodie. Uh, no no, no thongs yet, uh, but Stark Villain gear available at starkvillains.com in a variety of colors and styles. You can get whatever you like. Uh, we're happy to do it, right? And if you're not a member of jeansfage.com, you certainly should be the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. We're we'll back on Friday, and we will record Friday in the morning because i got to go on the road. Got to go on the road. So we'll get you done Friday morning. And uh, you guys, listen, get out and enjoy yourself this weekend. And all that let Honey do stuff you put off. Uh, let's get caught up this weekend and, and enjoy some college football because the thing that I've learned, too, about the open date, I, I can really embrace other teams playing. Because I don't have a team, I don't have a game to cover, but also, too, there's, no, there's not the anxiety of potentially losing, right? I know that sounds so pitiful, and I feel bad even saying that. But I do enjoy a weekend off, and we can just kind of sit around and enjoy college football uh, for the sake of enjoying college football. And I hope that you get a chance to do that. On Friday, we'll preview the weekend, and uh, we'll share with you anything that we've learned. But, again, don't expect any definitive statements about the health of any of your players uh, until game time against Arkansas I think that's important to understand it, the questions are going to be asked every day but don't expect uh, Zach Arnett or anybody officially to give you a, an actual declaration about anybody's health until uh, we're ready to take the field in Fayetteville and uh, make plans to attend if you hadn't northwest Arkansas has come a long way in the last 10-15 years it's incredible how that, that uh, area has grown up and uh, and really developed But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.